Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, and this episode is a continuation of our interview with uh, David Zoll. And now if you're not familiar uh, with David Zoll or, uh, or you didn't tune into our first episode, I would encourage you to listen back to the first episode to get some more information, but just a little bit about David. He was uh, born in New York City but now lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, as he said, in central Virginia. And he's the founder of Mockingbird Ministries, which is an organization devoted to connecting the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life in fresh and down-to-earth ways. So you should definitely check them out online. Uh, In addition to being the executive director of Mockingbird, David has authored many books, including his latest work, Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself. We will talk a little bit about that and hear some of David's thoughts in this episode about low anthropology. David also serves on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church, and he and his wife, Kate, have three sons. So we hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any questions, hit us up. Um, I remember um, when I got invited to come do just a quick devotional at the at the Mockingbird Conference here. And I saw you were speaking on the schedule right before me and that the name of your new book was Low Anthropology. I quite literally laughed out loud. I was like, of course it is. Of course David sees this, and I can't wait to hear him talk about this. So could you uh, do your best marketing campaign for your <laughs> book? Because I I feel like this is such a pattern that that half of the problem is people are deconstructing their faith in God um, unreasonably, irrationally, or even without good intuition. But then the the worst is they then somehow are in, in, increasing their confidence and construction in themselves. Like, mm-hmm. and and I, I, one of our themes around here that I say from the pulpit all the time is like, have you have you met you? Have you met <laughs> any humans? I mean, I, if you weren't you, would you want to be enslaved to you? <laughs> and if, if the answer to that is no, then you being you doesn't improve you as a slave master. Like, like yeah. we are terrible slave masters. And the thought that you would, you would think like, oh, I know I've got a much, much better choice, a safer choice to build my life on. And it's me. And I'm like, I, I just feel like maybe you haven't met you then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so anyway, I want to hear where this came from and where this emphasis came from. Yeah. Where, oh, what, what led to it? Yeah. Cause like, I want to hear that. I want to hear that as well. Sure. Oh, well, okay. Okay. The, um, low anthropology is my, I think everyone has an anthropology by that. I mean that everyone has some kind of operating conception of human nature. Like we all have something we mean when we say the phrase, I'm only human. Um, Mm. and, uh, that conception. And sometimes again, sometimes it's explicit and sometimes it's just sort of, you know, unconscious that, uh, creates expectations in the way that uh, for ourselves and for other people in our jobs, in our marriages, in our, you know, politics, et cetera, et cetera. And so my sense is that I was looking around and I'm, I'm, I'm always wanting to um, pay attention to what people are actually suffering from. 
And I was looking at two different issues that I feel are pretty acute today. And one of them uh, is uh, burnout. I was looking, you know, it was mm-hmm. pre, pre, pre-COVID actually is when burnout became a kind of a term. And you might, today it's, uh, it's even burnout has, has become uh, burned out. Uh, people talk about fatigue instead, right. mm-hmm. uh, exhaustion. And, uh, you know, you had, you know, millennials were feeling this way, uh, you know, nurses and doctors were feeling burned out and parents of young children were feeling burned out. And then you had like people, them reporting on like, you know, retirees were feeling burned out and high school kids were feeling burned out. And so I was wondering what's going on with burnout. And the other big emotional albatross was be loneliness. And maybe you guys saw about this very past week that we're recording this, this U S surgeon general declared loneliness, the big new yeah. public health <laughs> as epidemic. dangerous as smoking. Yes. 15 what, cigarettes a day. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, what's going on with these two things of loneliness and burnout? And I, 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 and how does this relate to our anthropology? And so my sense is that burnout is usually the result of um, excessive demands, an understanding of the human being as being capable of more than the human being is actually capable of. And this is, you know, there yes. are profit-driven reasons for this. There are other reasons for it, but we we expect this too much of ourselves and so we've lost any conception that we are limited uh, i would say creatures we created we're, we're not we're there's again there's a god and uh, he's not you you know um but we've lost that and so as a result we have ever increasing uh, demands on us uh, one one philosopher calls it the, the culture of acceleration so that everything's always increasing um, and that is producing burnout in every conceivable arena, emotionally, um, all this sort of paralysis and fatigue. And the other thing is loneliness. We have a we have an intolerance of kind of weakness, and so this is in large part um, facilitated by social media, um, and that we're never allowed to really. Uh, we, we're constantly dealing with a projection, a facade of who we are, of, of, of um, who we think we should yes. be in order to get love, and of course even when that facade gets approval and likes and all this stuff and it goes viral, you actually feel more alone because you know, that's not you Um, to any kind for any kind of love to occur in human life. It has to involve the real person. And when I say the real person, that usually means the ugly part of you, Mm -hmm. the, um, the less perfect than perfect part of you. Right. It's just how it, you know you feel admired for your attributes and for your achievements. You feel loved by the people who see the stuff you leave off your resume and stick around. Um, and so, in both cases, I felt this was the fruit of a high anthropology, a inflated view of human beings yeah. as human beings as being sort of have very few limits. They're optimizable, maybe not perfectible, but optimizable. That's the word you always hear, and that. Um, that we need to constantly be presenting a um, th- that our our actual selves are there's a complete intolerance of those those things, and so low anthropology is my uh, attempt to say that in fact, the opposite is true. In order to foster more unity, compassion, and love and patience in the world, we need to begin from a lower anthropology. And that for me is a biblical anthropology that's, which says that human beings are limited. We're, we're created uh, by God. We're not God. Um, and we're finite for that reason. And that we are, I could say doubled. We are, um, 
in all sorts of ways conflicted or we're emotionally driven. We, we say one thing and do another. We're, we're oftentimes a mystery to ourselves. We're not mm-hmm. sort of, let me tell you what to do and you'll do it. That just has never worked. And any system that operates according to those lines is going to produce mass frustration and, um, wow. you know, uh, rebellion. And then finally, that we are compromised in some way. I would, as a, I would say we are sinners. We are rebellious. We are, um, right. We actively, it's not that we don't do what we want. We actively want the wrong thing sometimes. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so I think that births a form of what, in terms of speaking, what Chris is talking about. um, I'm trying to promote a healthy self-skepticism. I don't, I wouldn't call it people, when they hear about sin, sin, you know, um, original sin, the the, the world out there hears self-loathing. That's what that, right, that's, right. you're talking about shame. And I think actually shame is really a, a, a product of feeling like you're the only one who's like this hmm. and everyone else somehow has these moral superpowers. And uh, if the people really knew, you know, um, that w- what you were like, well, then they really would hate you. And that's, that's, that's really shame. It's the idea <clears throat> right. that we can be perfect. We just haven't pulled it off yet. Um, and so low anthropology, I think, is, is about love, and it's about um, ultimately a relationship with God. I, I wrote the book to try to make an emotionally uh, plausible case for faith in, in God. That's I think, a lot. <laughs> uh, that's great. I, I will tell you, uh, you know, I work in the, in the therapeutic world talking about shame. I think shame, especially when we talk about it from a cultural perspective, shame is that cultural construct that's meant to make you feel like you're the outsider. You're the one who doesn't belong. You're the one who doesn't fit in. So I totally agree. I like that concept that that shame is meant to make you feel like you're the only one with this problem. And when I talk about intimacy, I often will talk about if you ever, um, uh, David, you ever been on a cruise? Yeah, okay. I have actually. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah. you go to you these to you go to these ports and you, you go to the port like at Cozumel or or St. Thomas or something, <clears throat> and you and when you go in, they, they drop you off at this pier, and at the pier is this city. It's this little cruise city. It's clean, it's neat, <laughs> it's got the best stores, it's got all this great stuff. And, and the vast majority of people on the cruise, that's as far as they go. There's usually, like the one in Cozumel, actually has a wall built around it. Like, you have to find the exit. It's not easy to actually leave the cru- little cruise city there. And everything's overpriced. But it's all pristine. Like, it's all perfect. And, mm. and they spray it off every day and everything. But what's, what's wild is you get, you get outside of that little cruise city. And that's where, of course, there's poverty and there's difficulty and there's challenges and there's all the ugly side and the most beautiful and the most stunning and the most shocking things on the island are also they're all outside of that Mm. outside of that and i tell you i will tell you most most people we want people to love us in that city because that's where we feel most confident that's hey that's where i'm at my best and so i want you to i think it's where i'm at my best um and so like that's where I want you to approve of me is inside those those little walls and mm. and the idea of letting you pass those walls is is scary. It can be scary because back there, yeah, the best things are about me are probably back there, but I can't control which necessarily yeah. as easily what mm. you see and what you don't see back there. And you might reject me, right? Mm. You know. 
And that's and, where love love could occur, but also rejection. Yeah. That's right. And so it's a, a and true love, not just you love what I'm presenting to you, mm-hmm. but you you love the real person who's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think that's really tough for us, and it requires a courage that I I don't know how people who don't have a, a mindset of a God who knows perfectly everything about the island even better than I do, and chooses me anyway. Like that's the, that's the root. Like you can reject me because in the end I can survive that as hard as that may be. And as painful as that may be, because there's someone who's even more right than you are, who is choosing to accept me, even though they understand me so well. And that, I don't know how to get the courage outside of that to risk it. Yeah. Um, It's hard. Well, and too, it's so interesting to think about the countercultural aspect of this message. Like you're saying where to culture, having a high anthropology you would think on the, on the outset would be um, loving because you're viewing people as like, Oh, we're capable of anything. Like it, it views people in a loving way, but in like viewing people with a lower anthropology actually allows for truly loving others instead Mm. of just loving like a perfected version of them. Mm. Or I don't know. That's interesting of like seeing people for what we really are. Um, like you're saying, allows for an actual unconditional love and for us to experience that from the Lord and then show it to others. That's right. I don't know. Yeah, we, we think we'll bring people together by celebrating our shared virtues. Mm-hmm. But the truth is you actually bring people together by identifying their shared weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And that's just a hundred percent true. I would say in almost all aspects, if I meet someone who's you know, politics on Facebook are just absolutely (laughs) reprehensible to me. And that's all I see about them. And I cannot unite. In fact, the more they talk about this thing that they think is good, the the, the further along I feel from them. But the second they put up the post that their loved one has died, I have an outpouring of love. And I want to, I say, oh my gosh, I've lost someone too. Hmm. And I may not know, I may not agree with this person, but I feel closer to them as a result of the fact that we both have a shared experience of loss. That same thing happens in addiction circles. You know, the same thing happens, I think, theoretically and, and very practically in like a good small group at church. Right. You know, this is the, the, the truth. If you want to see an increase in unity, compassion, tolerance, humor, you have to calib- recalibrate your understanding of human nature down a few notches and people hear, oh, that's... What about the Imago Day? And you want to say, well, of course, the Imago Day. People are the, the the world is full of awe and wonder, and and what a wonderful thing to walk through it and be surprised by how much God is at work through and you know around people, rather than constantly resentful for people for actually being just like you. And I, I really, you know, in term, well, the way this works out in deconstruction, by the way, is when you listen to stories of deconstruction, a lot of times people are deconstructing a high anthropology view of religion mm. where they thought I was told that Christians never suffered, or I was right. told that Christians were no longer sinful. I was told that I should be different at, at more different. And you know, that in, in many ways, I, I, I believe the Holy spirit works and people experience profound you know, victory in certain areas. And yet we never get to the point where we need God any less. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet that is what's communicated. And so a low anthropology says, in fact, no, you will always be a person who needs God, never a person who is needed by God. And um, I mean, God loves you. 
and he he wants to use you in all sorts of ways. However, the uh, the bedrock of our shared humanity is our shared need, and I think that that. Um, but but what I hear in stories of deconstruction is oftentimes like there's a hierarchy and there's a good Christian and a bad Christian mm-hmm. and there's you know you should once I was I was told that once I became a Christian I would no longer uh, be like this and then I then I have to adopt some false narrative of improvement that it that the more I adopt it the worse it gets and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden I'm living two distinct lives and finally the car, house of cards comes crashing mm-hmm. down because I can't do it. And uh, low anthropology allows God to be God, um, I believe. Mm. That's that's no. why I wrote the book. I think it it, it is uh, de- descriptively true, but also uh, theologically um, uh, alluring in a, in a very powerful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you're saying that you even feel like low anthropology or high anthropology is a problem in culture, but then we can twist it, and it's still tempting in church culture and Christianity to ascribe to a high anthropology because it's, it's shiny. It's, you know, um, appealing, but it's not the true gospel. And that's the, um, catalyst for a lot of deconstruction. Is that yeah. like, am I hearing that correctly? That's your, yeah. I mean, that's what I believe. I think that's true <laughs> that, um, yes, the high anthropology works its way out it works its way into religion. The way that it does it, is it says, uh, you know, you know, people usually become Christians through some sort of appeal or some sort of experience of God where they feel they were loved as they really were. They were forgiven. They were, they heard some right. revival, some sermon where they were saying, this is the gospel <clears throat> that God knows you and actually still loves you. And Jesus shed blood on your behalf, covers you in, you know, in righteousness. And you have been given this gift of God's grace and eternal life. And that's extremely exciting and good news to people who've really messed up in their life Mm -hmm. and want a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. And so of course you run to it, but then what happens is, and that's a low anthropology, that's, that's Christianity. But then what happens is, well, now that you're a Christian, you're imbued with these sort of superpowers and uh, you no longer, there are those people out there that need God, but not you really, yeah, or wow. you, you, need God, you need God less. And um, wow. that's, that's uh, the gospel is just for them. And, and, and then it becomes this inner game of, of a tennis that um, of ladder climbing and people feel like they're on a ladder at church um, rather than church is the place. I think we go when, when we fall off the ladder, mm. <laughs> right. um, but we're brilliant at constructing ladders. We're just mm. really, really good at it. And, you know, we, we do it by the way at whole foods and soul cycle <laughs> the same way. Um, and it, uh, you know, the, the, on, on Facebook or whatever, but yeah, I think that it's pernicious um, because uh, a low anthropology allows for God to do great work in people's lives that you want to tell those stories. But once the stories become the point rather than a, you know, what is Jesus? Jesus says like, I, I perform these signs and wonders, but you don't believe like you, you want to put your faith in the signs and wonders rather than in, in God. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we, we want to do the same thing. But the second we start putting our faith in the signs and wonders that we've seen in our own lives, what we find is that, um, it all falls apart because um, these things were testimonies to God's faithfulness. They weren't uh, objects of faith in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's getting mighty theological, I guess. But I, I would say that, yes, high anthropology works its way into uh, religion. If you've ever heard someone say, I just couldn't keep up anymore. I just couldn't mm-hmm. uh, keep keep it up, keep going. Um, they're dealing with a, some sort of high anthropology form of religion. Yes. Mm. And that's, that's 
it to me it's very very difficult to tell that sometimes from humanism um yeah it's it's a it's a religion in which god kind of worships us like god becomes a humanist sometimes in that high anthropology versus um us realizing that the things that are good in us are are really gifts that he has given us it's not because we've earned it or merited it it's not it's not something somehow particularly special about us Mm. that that makes us spend like even the imago day is a great example like well, it's not like I earned the image of God. It's not like I somehow merited that, grunted that out, made that happen. It it really does come down to that's it's a gift God gave me. And so, yeah, it's true of me, but it's true of me because of him. Mm. And and that's freeing because that, that also means I'm not the one who's going to somehow lose it. Yeah. Like I'm not the one who's going to misplace it. My Being created in the image of God is not something that I can wander off with without and forget or leave it behind or that me being in denial of it or someone else being in denial of it doesn't make it not true. Yeah. Um, because that would be terrifying. And I've, 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 I was in a version of Christianity that had not quite that. It had that about a right relationship with God, that it was up to me to maintain that. Mm. And it was kind of terrifying to be honest. Like it was like a man is, <laughs> Yeah. And the difficulty is a lot of this stuff becomes implicit rather than people would say, well, well, of course, God is the one doing is the perfecter of your faith. Of course, uh, this is all God's doing. But um, once you there, there becomes like a it's almost like a, un, a dispositional uh, 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 an attitude that, that people start to say, well, yeah, but you should really be kind of getting a little better here. You know, like it's. Um, and so that's why it's hard to parse exactly where this flip switch is, where the switch, the switch flips. And it doesn't always flip. Sometimes it's just what the, the, the crazy, our own brokenness that we bring to the equation that seems to make is desperate to make a ladder out of anything, even the gospel, you know? Um, but it's, I, I think that that's why uh, the job of the, of the pastor is really to proclaim the, the, the gospel, uh, a message uh, over and over again in such a way that it's, you know, honest and, and it takes into account the real pain of life, but doesn't hedge uh, on the sovereignty of God or um, the, the grace that is on offer, even for you, the Christian, even for you, the churchgoer, even for you, the deconstructor, you know, Mm. that's really good. That's really good. All right. What else? Anything else come to yeah, mind? What What comes to mind is the, these are great things. And you were, you know, kind of revisiting what you were talking about earlier with youth ministry. Um, how does this play out, David, like within your, I'm, I'm just thinking of your relationship with your sons and how yeah. you're wanting to create, I'm sure, a culture within your home and then also within your church more broadly um, that is allowing for them to ask questions and to be honest. Um, I guess what, you know, as your, as your sons are getting older and you're probably looking to, okay, they're not going to be, I mean, I, I'm very much in the throes of, uh, very small children. My mm. oldest is five. And so I, I'm not looking to, to the future. And like, I, it's hard for me to picture them being on their own without me, but I'm sure as they, they get kind of in that teenager area and I, Chris is, you know, dealing with, with this as well as his, mm-hmm. his children, you know, are, are growing up as well. How, what are, what are your hopes for your kids and what are your practical things that you're doing for them to hopefully equip them to be, you know, followers of, 
of God in, in this culture that we're living in right now? Gosh, Colson. I mean, I don't have a roadmap for being a good dad. (laughs) I I, I can tell you what my own parents did. My brothers and I are all three of us are in Christian ministry, or at least one's a, one's a theology professor and one's a pastor. And and then I'm whatever the heck I am. (laughs) Wait, so um, you have, there's three boys in your family and then you had three boys. Is that yes? Nice. Yes. That's fun. I think I believe they call that a curse. <laughs> I love my Sorry, three Sorry, I mean, boys. not fun, a yeah. curse. Uh, what? Yeah. It's, it's wonderful, but these are very present tense conversations because I got a 12 year old and he's, you know, we, we um, his school is not, I wouldn't call it uh, necessarily <laughs> Christocentric. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, my parents did a couple different things that I thought was good. They never hedged on their own faith they never tried to act like they believed something they didn't they were always transparent about um you know my my dad was a a minister and uh they they, we were surrounded by people who loved jesus and for whom jesus meant everything uh, our whole lives and they, they didn't seem like charlatans to me in any respect and uh and yet my parents, they, they put us in secular schools, shall we say, and they did it partly because they knew that if God became tied up with our authority structure mm. in adolescence, that they risked um, losing uh, us uh, to the faith. Um, you know, uh, again, um, losing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they put us in schools that seemed almost antithetical to what they were trying to do at home. And yet we went to church every single week. That was a non-negotiable. That was just part of what you, know, we respect our father. We go to church in the mornings. It wasn't like a, you do this because you have to love God. It's because this is what we do. And the, there was no questioning that. Right. And uh, what we saw at church was not a uh, community of, you know, terrible hypocrites. What we saw was a bunch of people who, loved one another and were doing their best to sort of serve their neighbors. Um, and so church, I mean, there was at times when it was extremely boring, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we didn't want to go and we wanted to sleep in and we were teenagers, but we had to go if we were home. And um, then they listened to us as we spouted the most stupid, <laughs> um, ill-considered uh, teenager nonsense imaginable in terms of what we believed about the world. And they weren't threatened by it. They kind of, mm-hmm. they weren't, they, they didn't, they, they, you know, if we call, said something really dumb, they'd say, well, I don't know if that's true, but um, <laughs> they allowed us to have uh, some, uh, you know, some uh, leash, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, and, what happened was that when personal suffering occurred, all of us came crawling back to God as the answer, the antidote or the answer to our issues. And it meant that they had to, as parents, they had to suffer, you know, they had to suffer um, letting us um, have our rebellion a bit. I mean, their prayer was always that um, we would have our nervous breakdowns early and without <laughs> too much collateral wow. da- da- damage. And, you know, they, I don't know how they did it, but, for they, they were authentic about their faith, transparent about it. We were exposed to communities of faith that were vibrant. And then they, in person, they allowed us the space to uh, rebel um, in, in ways without, you know, hurting people. Right. And we watched as we all came back. So in for terms of my own children, I want to answer their questions and get, make, they go to church every single week. Um, I think in terms of the secular ideologies that I was exposed to, they 
had a sense, I think, that you could let those dogs hunt mm-hmm. a little bit and they would mm-hmm. disappoint you. If you, mm-hmm. if as parents, they came against them too strongly, they would, they would uh, provoke rebellion um, and, and they would make something more desirable than it, than mm. it was. But if you allow those dogs to hunt, and I'm talking about the sort of overarching yeah. isms that we, we are exposed to, right. that they, but they come, they, they come off as hollow, you know? Uh, your exercise class isn't going to bring you a casserole when your parents die. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> right. um, but also in that sense, like your politics aren't going to save you when your boyfriend breaks up with you. You know, That's it's right. like that it's um, the, for, for, and, and when you royally screw up and you get arrested or you get a DUI, mm-hmm. you're the, um, you know, whatever the ideological enclave that you're, is not going to forgive you. <laughs> They're going to mm-hmm. distance themselves from you. Mm-hmm. So uh, they allowed us to experience that for ourselves. I don't know if that's for every parent to do, but I, it worked in their case. And I'm trying to do something somewhat similar. But because, you know, I want to be the, I want to be like the good dad. I want to be the one they, they come to when they right. crash the car, not the one that they run from. Mm-hmm. And so that's my only prayer. I want to be the one who can show them grace in the moments. You know, I want to enforce the law when it comes to, you know, don't stick your finger in that light socket. Or, right. Right. Um, don't, you know, don't drink like, uh, you know, before you're allowed to please, you know, that's against the law period, but I want to be the person that they feel they can come to. Um, and so that involves a certain demonstration of my own fallibility. Right. Mm. Um, that's huge. Mm. And I'm telling you that pattern so far, the conversations we've been hearing from people is when, when young people seem to have the room to ask questions, the room to doubt, the room to struggle, that's that's a not, you know, like you said, not the room to stick their finger in the light socket, but but it's not just behavioral like, no, you don't do that. Let's try to figure out how much you can understand about why not to do that. And let's talk about what you can do instead. And anyway, there's just so many healthy ways to come at it. And, and I feel like we've, we're seeing that pattern is that mm-hmm. the ability to, to know I can go to dad and ask a question that, uh, or I can go to mom and ask a question that would be a tough, could be a really tough question. It could even be an offensive question mm-hmm. um, from a political perspective, perspective, or even a religious perspective. Like, I think that's, yeah. a, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. It puts um, the parent in a, in a tough position though. You have to absorb. That's Right. You have to bite your tongue a lot and you have to absorb some nonsense and, and, and pick your, pick your moments, you know, right. and that's, that's always my prayers as a parent, like, Lord, please show me when I really, you know, when do I need to pick, when do I need to do something? And when do I just need to keep my mouth shut? Mm. Because if you, if you feel like you have to answer everything and come against every act of misbehavior, as we all know, you're just going to become a mammoth. No to your child. Right. And like, you yes. do not want to become that uh because then when they really need you they won't come to you that's mm-hmm. right and yeah. like you were saying i think you said your parents were i can't remember the exact word you used but they were secure they just they were confident and they weren't afraid of y'all asking those questions and i think even becoming a new parent recently and thinking through you know as we we're like praying for his future right. i think that that is so um new to me and and evident in a new way of like, yes, I want my child to love the Lord and I want him to 
these are all my hopes for his future. And so when it comes to thinking about the questions that he's going to have, that already creates fear in me. And so I, <laughs> yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense of how our first response would be, I mean, there's other responses, obviously, of like pride or whatever, of like, right, you're, right. you're challenging me. But even a fear of what does this mean? What And, and wanting to lash out from that standpoint. And I think mm-hmm. your point of them resting secure and just, you know, trusting your life with the Lord and being able to handle those questions, I think is encouraging because I already feel that in myself of, yep. of a fear of what, what is he going to ask? What is he going to try? Um, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's hopefully, uh, from what I've heard, there's grace for parents too, who, who mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, bank, I'm banking on oh, it. Oh, let's hope. <laughs> and by banking, so you mean much. you're setting up a therapy account now <laughs> for the therapy they're going to need later? Yeah. Yes, exactly. that too. No, I, you're I, exactly right. That's because well, we do I mean, mess I, it up. Yeah, I trust Chris on all this stuff. In fact, <laughs> parenting and devices, and there's so many. It's such a wild west out there. But mm. you know, it does give you appreciation for God. You think, think of the crazy things that the the, the Lord has, has has you know had to hear. We were so certain. I mean, because that, that, that's part of like growing up into adulthood is a journey into kind of uncertainty. Or like, uh, all I know is that 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 I'm putting my faith in Jesus, and that's just about it. And when I think of how certain I was about everything when I was 25, I kind of cringe. I think, but God somehow loved me through it, um, and my parents did too. And that's a that's a picture of God's grace to deal with those who are really stumbling along. And and um, that makes me more excited to be a Christian rather than less. Mm. Yep. Okay, so our kind of traditional final question is: if you if someone's listening now who is in the process of of really struggling, of, of deconstructing, what would mm. you tell them? What's your advice? Um, I would say, um, go to try to find a good therapist to, um, I think ask the questions. Hopefully you can find someone that you can really talk to, but, um, figure if you can, if you have uh, identified the emotional wounds that, hmm. um, and, and, and those are going to, they might take a lifetime to heal from. And if you need to walk away from the church for a season, do it. Um, I think that's important, but I just don't try not to kid your, be honest about where this is an intellectual thing versus an emotional thing. Mm. And where the emotional healing needs to take place, um, I would uh, seek help because those 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 wounds, if you get consumed with resentment about your past, it will eat you alive. Mm. And um, there are um, ways there are people have dealt with um, uh, these 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 there, there's help. Um, and I, I hope and pray that, yes, that God in his, his God's timing will um you know, become a, a, be revealed to, to, to be, you know, actually the loving God that I, I've experienced. But mm. I would say that you can, don't, don't, ha, don't, uh, do it in a half speed, like go there, but look for the w- wounds and, um, deal with the heart issues. Um, and you may find that, um, the, the head stuff will, um, 
however it resolves, it will be um, uh, you have a it will be more wholesome, I guess, in in the wholehearted uh, way. Mm. Is that is that? I, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'd say. I think I think a lot of times that uh, Jesus remains as compelling as ever. Um, it's it's more once we have to cough up the hairball of the pain <laughs> that we've uh, we've had, and to really admit that it's been just that painful and mm. that yes. Um, um, but yeah, I, I would think a degree of honesty about where's the emotional pain. Um, and, uh, and, and to kind of actually deal with that rather than allow it to completely drive the train of your intellectual and spiritual life for the next 30 years, um, would mm. be sad. Yeah. That's a really good point. That is good. And it is a, it is, that is a great reminder. There are places you can go. There are churches that, that do get this, that can be safe. There are relationships and friendships and you just, these, you got to find the those people who can have that conversation with you and, and work through the, the trauma, the pain, the, the, the harm. And that can be in a counseling setting. It can be in, in a, in, those are, those are some great options. So mm-hmm. yeah, we would, we would say the same thing. Just don't the, 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 the answer of just stopping at the deconstruction level. Mm-hmm. Um, We've just not found that to be necessary yeah. and, and we can keep, we can keep working. Cough up the hairball. That's David's right. all. That's that is uh Cough up the hairball. That's right. We'll we'll be coming back to that one, I'm sure, many times. Yeah. Well, David, man, thank David, you so thank much. You. Yeah, for your thoughtful yeah, responses, awesome. man. Seriously, it's been so good. I'm excited to go read your book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I my husband's read it and I'm so excited now. No, oh, well, so. thanks, Bryn. Thank you, Colson. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I hope yeah. it's I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly am an actual low anthropologist. I, I hope I hope what I've said is been helpful. I don't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's been amazing. It's been really. It's been great. a lot of words. It's been a lot of words. But... <laughs> well, we really appreciate it. the people who are listening that we found, or the people that are sending their friends to this, or their kids to this 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 podcast. Um, that's what the sometimes the the stories, the individual stories, as as what we've wrestled through and others have wrestled through, have been really compelling to them, and and why that. If you have a realistic perspective, why haven't you walked away? Well, that's we. They need they need to hear that. They need to hear some examples of. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not. I'm not pretending like there's no. You know, this is a not a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of faith. Um. And so mm-hmm. if I'm a, if I'm honest about the stuff that's going on behind the curtain, how can I stick with it? And mm-hmm. um, what's the real story here? So I appreciate that, David, very much. And mm-hmm. I would I do recommend your materials. Your the conferences you do, the, t- the teaching you do, I, I have been, I love that it makes me think differently than my intuition is time after time. Um, and I find my spirit um, encouraged by that. So David, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers. <laughs>